Luke chapter 23 and verse number 32. I'll give you a few moments there to find it. Luke chapter 23 and verse number 32. 32. Are you ready for the word? Starting with verse number 32. Verse number 32. There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when he had come to the place called Calvary, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father... Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. Then the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, saying, If you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was also written over his head in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were, were hanging there blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the others answered and rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly have received our due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say unto you, You will be with me in paradise. Father, we come to you in the name of your son Jesus. Thank you for this day that you have given us. I pray that, Lord, as I endeavor to speak your word to your people, that you would give me the right words to say. And that, Lord, that I may speak your word with power and boldness. I pray that their ears may uh, be open and their heart may be receptive today because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And everyone said amen. Today I'm continuing the sermon series, The Words of a Dying Man. Each Sunday for the next few weeks, we started last Sunday, so for the next few weeks what we're going to do, we're going to explore the words that Jesus said as he was dying on the cross. Last week we looked at the words from the word, from the mouth of Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. If you were not here to listen to that sermon, I encourage you to go to the website and listen to last week's sermon so you can be up to par in what this sermon series is about. Anyway, in a nutshell, last week we dealt with the first words from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. We see in that, we see in that situation that Jesus prays for his offenders. Now, why is that important for us to know? Because Jesus teaches us that the gospel is more than words. The gospel has to be lived out. And the gospel has to be lived out even when you are hurting. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 to love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be, your, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. That was more than words. Jesus lived it out on the cross. He prayed for his offenders even when he's hurting. And the greatest challenge in life is this, to pray for those who have offended you even when you are hurting yourself. That's the greatest challenge. And Jesus tells us that the gospel must be lived out. It cannot be just a bunch of words. Today, we're going to listen to the words of this dying man as he speaks the second words from the cross. He says to the thief, Assuredly I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, it's important for us to pay close attention to Jesus' final words. Now let me say this because I think it's imperative that I say this. Everything that Jesus said in the Gospels is very important for us to obey. And it's very important for us to listen to. The Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus told his disciples, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So everything that Jesus says is important. It's life-giving. But what I want you to see here is I want you to pay close attention to his last words because I believe his last words 
carry a little extra weight. Not that his other words did not. But I believe that his values, I believe that his heart and what's most important to our master is revealed as he is dying on the cross. Let me ask you a question this morning. What was our Lord thinking as he was dying? As he is pulling himself up on that Roman cross and as the blood was dripping from his body and blood and water was flowing from his side, as those as he's gasping for air, what was he thinking? What was going through his mind and what was going through his heart as he is suffering for the sins of the world? The scripture is clear. It tells us what he said. And I believe that his final words is an indication of what's most important to him, what he values, what's, most, what, what, what's from his heart. Have you ever been at somebody's bedside? and listen to their final words as they pass from death to life. I've been there many times as a pastor, and I am shocked by what some folks have said, and I'm not shocked by what some folks have said because they knew Christ, and so they went peacefully. Have you ever been there? Because their words do hold a little bit more weight. No matter how much a person has talked in life, their last words seem to be a little bit more important. Remember last week I gave you a few examples of people's last words? This week I would like to give you a few more examples of some notable people who have passed on and their last words before they died. Do you remember studying a man by the name of Martin Luther? Martin Luther is the great Protestant reformer of the Protestant church. He died on February 18, 1546, and Martin Luther said this on his deathbed, and I quote, Our God is the God from whom cometh salvation. God is the Lord by whom we escape death. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That is from Martin Luther. What about John Bunyan? On August the 31st, 1688, John Bunyan is the English Christian writer and preacher. He is famous for writing The Pilgrim's Progress. On his deathbed, he says it like this, and I quote, Weep not for me, but for yourself, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who through the mediation of his blessed Son receives me, though a sinner. We shall meet to sing a new song and remain everlasting happy. That was his words. What about Polycart, who was the disciple of the Apostle John, who died in the year 155 A.D.? He was a second century bishop of Smyrna. Polycart said as they lit the, the torch on fire and begin to burn him to death, he says this and I quote, For eighty and six years I have been a servant, his servant. He has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Ladies and gentlemen, that's awesome. Here is a man who stood up in the face of compromise, and would not deny his Lord. What about that famous infidel? You've never heard of him. Some folks have heard him in history. His name is Adams. Adams is this famous agnostic who on his deathbed cried these words, I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm damned, damned forever. His agony, history tells us, that Adam's agony was so severe on his deathbed, he took his hands and ripped out every hair on top of his head because of the agony. What about Professor J. H. Huskley? He was a famous um, uh, professor in great universities across America, but he was also a great agnostic. Damned, he would damn the church over and over. On his deathbed, he was staring into the space. And as he was uh, uh, staring into space, he whispered these words to his maid. So it is true. You see, ladies and gentlemen, your words really do reflect your approach to life. I read you a few, their last words, and their last words really do reflect their values. It reflects their state of heart and state of mind, what they were thinking on their deathbed. And I want you, just for a few moments, to carefully pull yourself up spiritually 
and take your spiritual ears and listen to this man as he is suffering on the cross. And I want you to carefully listen to his words. Ladies and gentlemen, I promise you, you got to be quiet and you got to you got to hone in a little bit and you got to let your ears listen to him because the man is weak. The man is sick. The man is bloody. He's barely getting a whisper out. But if you listen closely, you can listen to our Lord's heart. If you listen closely, you can listen to his values and what's most important to him. Listen to him. Pull yourself up to the crucifixion and listen to him as he whispers to the thief on the cross. I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want you to think about this thief. This thief, this robber, this criminal who is sentenced to death. I want you to imagine with me, think about this thief for a moment. I want you to think about how long he's been hanging on the cross. I want you to think about how his body is dehydrated. I want you to look at this thief as blood is oozing from his body and dropping to the ground. And I want you to look at the onlookers and the blasphemers down at the cross as they are blaspheming the king that if you are the son of God, come down off of there, save yourself. The other criminal is blaspheming him, but this other criminal seems to be repentant. Look at him as he is bloody and bruised and his head is throbbing from the pain. His, his tongue is swollen. Flies are swarming around the gaping wounds of his body. His body is racked with pain. He can barely turn his head, but he had enough strength to turn his head to the Savior and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I want to tell and remind this church something, that that sentence there and that little story tucked in the pages of St. Luke is probably the greatest story of redemption ever known to us outside of Calvary, outside of the crucifixion of Jesus. This story is probably one of the greatest stories of redemption ever known to mankind. Now, why would, that, why would I say that? Because here is a dying thief. This thief could not perform any good works. This thief could not give in an offering. This thief could not attend church services. He could not receive the rite of baptism. He did not receive communion on Sunday morning. He did not go to a prayer line and somebody prayed over him. He did not raise his hand in a Sunday worship service and say, I am a sinner. The preacher never said, God bless that hand. He never walked down to the front, nor did any care team lead him to the Lord. You see, this dying thief did nothing. The only thing he did was to reach out in faith and accept the grace and the gift of forgiveness simply because he asked. Now, I'm about to shout here this morning. I want to let you know that just because he asked, he received. And that was enough for Jesus. Somebody say amen. And I want to let you all know today, it's still enough for Jesus. Salvation does not depend on your good works. Salvation does not depend on your offering this morning. Salvation did not depend on you walking granny across the street last night. Your salvation was based upon what not, not what you did, but your salvation is based upon what he did 2,000 years ago on the cross of Christ. All this thief did was he asked, will you remember me in paradise? Will you remember me, Lord, in your kingdom? And because he asked in faith, he was granted paradise. I'm about to tell you all something. If you will ask this morning, you will be saved. If you will ask this morning, you will receive help. If you ask this morning, you will receive deliverance. If you ask this morning, you will be healed. If you ask this morning, you will be whole. Salvation. Woo. Will you ask? He turned to the Savior and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Salvation 
is not based upon any class, creed, or color. It's, it's salvation is not based on your, on, on your status condition. Salvation is to the poor and to the rich. Salvation is to the sinner and to the saint. Salvation is to the pimp and the president. Salvation is to the king and the peasant. Salvation is to the educated and to the illiterate. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. His salvation is to the world. For by grace are you been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. You see, it is very common for you to think of yourself, if I clean myself up, if I stop doing this, if I can do this, then God will love me more or God will accept me more. That is a lie from the devil. You cannot fix yourself. You cannot improve yourself. Come on, somebody. The only thing that can save a wretched, sinful, rebellious soul is the sacrifice and the atonement of Jesus when a repentant sinner confesses he is a sinner. The Holy Spirit comes inside of him and regenerates that dead spirit and causes him to be born again. You cannot save yourself. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not if you go to church. Not if you say your prayers. If you believe and confess, you will be saved. Jesus said to his disciples in John 5, 24, Truly I say unto you, he who, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. you got to believe. You see, most people at the time of the crucifixion, did not believe that Jesus was a deliverer. L listen to this preacher. Those who were there at the crucifixion, those blasphemers, those maybe even his disciple, the thieves on the cross, they didn't really comprehend, but they really didn't believe that he was a deliverer. Because no deliverer is crucified by the Roman government. It's no wonder they said, if you're God or if, if you're the Christ, come down off of that cross. Because in their mindset, if you're really a deliverer, then you should not have been crucified by the Roman officials. So therefore, it is no wonder those, that one thief was blaspheming him. It's no wonder they blasphemed him because a Messiah, a deliverer, is dying on the Roman cross. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, that's what the disciples wanted to be free from. They wanted to be free from the Roman government, and yet the Roman government killed their supposedly Savior. It's no wonder they blasphemed him. Because he's dying and no deliverer, no Messiah actually dies. This is a dying man. And yet this thief has a change of heart. The other thief is blaspheming him. The crowd is blaspheming him, except for a few. And yet this thief barely turns his head and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Stop. This man had a change of heart. He referred to Jesus as Lord, and he made reference that he had a kingdom. Something happened in this man. This man had a change of heart. He went from a blaspheming thief to a repentant sinner. He went from a thief that was blaspheming and rebellious to a repentant sinner who declared that he was Lord and had a kingdom. I want to say this, ladies and gentlemen, that the only reason that this thief went from a blasphemer to a repentant sinner who declared that Jesus was Lord and had a kingdom is because the Holy Spirit did the work in his heart as he was dying. 
That's what you call deathbed repentance. The Spirit of God was working in his heart, and he repented before he took his last breath. I want you to notice that this man, according to verse 39, this man understood that he was a sinner. Am I right? The Bible says in verse number 39, and then one of the criminals who was hanged there blasphemed him, saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself. Verse number 40, then the other answered and rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing that we're under the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we've received the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Do you see what this man is saying? Ladies and gentlemen, this man had a change of heart. This man is hanging on the cross, and all of a sudden, he says to the other thief, do you not understand that we are under condemnation, but this man has done nothing wrong? Do you know what happened in that moment of time? The Holy Spirit was working in his heart, and this thief understood that he was a sinner. Didn't, isn't that what he said? He said, we are receiving what we deserve but this man never should receive this punishment. This man, this thief, understood he was a sinner. And this man admitted openly and admitted publicly that he was suffering from his sin. And let me say this and let me say it loud and clear, that we will never get anybody saved until that person first admits that he is a sinner and deserves a devil's hell. I'm preaching up in here. Somebody help me out. You will never be saved. You will never be saved unless you first admit you are a sinner. This thief admitted he was receiving his reward for what he did. He admitted he was a sinner. And I'm telling you the problem with so many churches today is that we have become glorified country clubs with steeples on top of it, and we have a bunch of baptized pagans sitting in church seats every Sunday who is too prideful to admit that they are a sinner. And because we won't admit we are a sinner, the blessing of God is held from our churches. I want somebody to raise your hand and say, Thank God I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. You first must admit that you are a sinner. But pastor, I'm a good person. You're a sinner. You're rebellious. You're wicked. You're evil. Your heart has been turned from God. And unless the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart, you will continue to go down that trajectory without the mercy and the grace of God if you don't turn your heart to God. You must return to your heart to God. You must repent of your sin and accept Christ as your Savior. Church attendance does not save you. Signing your name on a roll does not save you. Signing your name at a card does not save you. You must first admit, I am a sinner. I've done wrong. I've messed up. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. This man was receiving what he deserved. He said, I receive what I deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. So many people are so egotistical nowadays, stuttering their way to a devil's hell, gloating in their pride as a bunch of peacocks, as if we deserve to be praised in glory for everything we've done in our life, for all the things we've said and did and all the stuff we've done for the church. Surely God will have mercy on me. Surely my good works will save me in the end. Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel is true. You cannot save yourself by your good works. Cannot. But I've served in the church. If you are unsaved, you will go to hell. I don't care how many church services you've said. I don't, care how many, I don't care how many communions you've taken or how many times you've been baptized in water. If you have not admitted, I am a sinner, the grace of God has been shut to the door of your heart. Not I'm a sinner, but I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. I deserve to be punished. This thief said, we deserve what we've done. But this man has done nothing wrong. People say, well, I, I'm a good person. I'm not a murderer and a thief and a pervert and adulterer. I don't get drunk. 
I'm better. Isaiah said our, our works of righteousness is as filthy rags. You cannot save yourself even if you tried to save yourself. But pastor, I'm not a thief. This sermon doesn't apply to me because I'm not a thief. You are a thief if you do not know Christ. If you have not repented of your sin, you are a thief. God is the landowner. God is the landlord. And you are breathing God's air. You're, you're walking on God's earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, not yours. You belong to him. You were created to live for him. You exist to live for him. And God created you for him. And if you are here and you are drawing some breath from the air and walking on the ground and you do not belong to him, then you are a thief. Anyone who lives in this life without serving God and anyone who is drinking God's water and breathing God's air and walking on God's earth and anyone who is doing these things and they don't belong to him, then you are a thief. This thief said, I deserve my punishment. This thief said, I deserve to be executed. But this man has done nothing wrong. Hallelujah. This man has done nothing wrong. This thief, after he admitted he was a sinner, he said, isn't it interesting? Listen to this preacher. He admitted he was a sinner. And then he said, Lord, remember me. Because you can't rightfully call him Lord unless you first admit you're a sinner. He said, I, I, deserve, to, I deserve my punishment. And then he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now let me just stop here. Why? Why would you gamble on your life? Mr. Thief, I mean, what has he done? He's dying. He has been executed as a criminal just like you are, and yet you are putting all your eggs in one basket. You're putting all your hope in this dying man. You're putting all of your faith and trust in the dying man that Rome has executed. Yes. He took a gamble that day. He was translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. One moment he closed his eyes on Calvary and the next moment he opened it up in paradise. Somebody say amen. Here is Jesus. Naked, beaten, bloody, bruised, dying on the cross and the thief turns to him and calls him Lord. Let's stop here. Lords don't bleed and die. Lords are not suffering on a cross. Lords are not pulling themselves on the cross to get a breath. And yet this thief believes he's Lord. Let me ask you something. What kind of kingdom does that bloody man have? Oh, what kind of kingdom does he have? He's bloody, bruised. He's gasping for air. They're blaspheming. What kind of kingdom does he have? What would make this thief believe he ever had a kingdom? Maybe it's not the kingdom that you're used to. His kingdom was a borrowed tomb. What kind of throne does he have? Maybe his throne was the cross. What kind of scepter did he have? Maybe his scepter was a bloody nail in his hand. Well, if you're a king, what kind of allegiance do you have? Maybe his allegiance was the spit in his face. And yet, this thief had enough faith to call him Lord. You see, Peter called him Lord after the great fish after the great catch of fish, and Thomas called him Lord after the great resurrection. You see, in this man, listen, listen to me. Peter calls him Lord after he went fishing and caught a bunch of fish. 
I probably would call him Lord too because I saw a miracle. And Thomas called him Lord because he was resurrected from the dead and Thomas put his hands in his side and said, Oh, Lord, my God. But what in the world would make a man call another dying criminal Lord? Jesus is not raising the dead. He is not bringing sight to the blind. He's not standing on the Judean hillside giving the great beatitudes. Why would you call him Lord? And yet this story is the greatest redemption story of all times because this man, in spite of not seeing anything, his heart was pricked by the Holy Spirit to believe in this man. And some of you, you've never seen a miracle. Some of you have went to church and you've not seen maybe miracles, raising the dead and sight to the blind, and maybe you haven't seen those things. But that's not what you need to see to get saved. This man didn't see that. His heart was pricked by the Holy Spirit and he felt as though he is the condemned criminal and he admitted his fault and believed in a dying man's kingdom. And I'm asking you today to believe in this man's kingdom. I'm asking you today to believe in this bloody, bruised man. I'm asking you today to pull yourself up to the cross, lean your ear over, and listen to this man as he gives hope to a dying criminal. That man received forgiveness. Jesus said, today, surely today, you will be with me in paradise. In one moment, this man got a ticket to heaven. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This man went from suffering to glory. This man went to agony to praise. Somebody say amen. All because this man believed in the kingdom of a dying man. He simply prayed, Lord... Remember me. You see, justice should have hung that man. Justice required that criminal to be executed. And although justice required him to be executed, mercy cut the rope. Mercy was demonstrated that day. In one moment, that thief received more as a gift. Listen to me. In one moment of time, that thief received more as a gift than he had ever stolen in his lifetime. Oh, that man received a gift that he couldn't steal. He couldn't steal God's grace. He couldn't steal anything from the man that's dying because the man didn't have anything for him to steal. He couldn't steal God's forgiveness. He couldn't steal God's mercy. It was given to the thief. And I want you to let you know we're all thieves this morning and we can't steal anything from God no matter how much you want to steal his forgiveness. I want to let you know he will give his forgiveness to you if you believe in his finished work. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. This man, three men on the cross that day, one died in sin. One died to be saved from sin. And one died for the sin of the world. One made the devil happy that day. One of them made Jesus happy that day. One of them made God happy that day. Three men on the cross, but yet one of them died disbelieving, and one died pleading, and one died bleeding. One of them had sin in him and on him. The other one had sin in him, but not on him. The other one had no sin in him and all sin on him. What about it, my friend? The greatest story of redemption is before us. 
Jesus said in closing, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. What is Jesus talking about? Paradise. In the Old Testament scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, when an Old Testament saint died believing the law, when they were justified by the law of Moses and through the ceremony system that God has established, those people were quote unquote saved, and that's a loose term there, they were saved under the covenant that God established in the Old Testament. Those people did not go to heaven. Those people went down into the earth. Why did they go down into the earth? Because down in the earth was a place called Shiloh, a place called Hades. But that place called Shiloh and Hades has had a divider in the middle of it. In other words, it was one place, but that one place had two compartments. The one side had the righteous, and the other side had the unrighteous. It was Hades and Shiloh. The Old Testament patriarchs called it paradise. Paradise is the place where the righteous people would go. And so this place would have two compartments. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man went to hell, and, Ab and, 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 and Lazarus lifted up his eyes in Abraham's bosom, which is paradise. He lifted up his eyes, and they could see each other afar off. Because when you died in the Old Testament, you went down. You went down. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm closing with this, so just bear with me. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 8, the scripture says it like this, and I quote, Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also he who ascended is far above the heavens that it might fulfill all things. So the scripture says that before Jesus ever went to heaven, he went down. Where did he go? He went down into paradise. Paradise was one compartment. Shiloh, Hades, Gehenna, hell was on the other side. And there was a great gulf that separated the two compartments. You see, ladies and gentlemen, that's what happened in the Old Testament. That was God's system. Nobody went to heaven. But why? Why did they not go to heaven? Well, it is speculated by theologians, speculated, that one of the reasons why old saints in the Old Covenant did not go directly to heaven is because the first sin happened in heaven and not on earth. You see, Lucifer, according to Revelation, took one-third of the angels with him. He rebelled against God. Jesus said, I Satan fell from heaven like lightning. See, somewhere, somewhere in the cosmic, there was a war that went on, and Jesus, or, or, or Satan himself, took one-third of the angels with him, caused a great rebellion, they came down and a place called hell was reserved for the devil and his angels. Why? Sin happened in heaven. So therefore, God said to Moses, I want you to look up, and the, the things you see up here, I want you to make it down here. So Moses looked up and saw a tabernacle and made a tabernacle on earth. You see, Hebrews chapter 9 said that the tabernacle in heaven was purified by the blood of Jesus. So it could be, it could be that since the first sin happened in heaven, since Lucifer took one-third of the angels out of heaven, since there was a great rebellion in heaven and they fell to the earth, heaven was polluted with sin. So therefore God was waiting for the high priest to take his blood to the tabernacle in heaven, not the one on earth, but the one in heaven, and take his blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat of heaven. So therefore, Paul says in the new covenant, to be absent from the body is now to be present with the Lord. Somebody say amen. When Jesus was in the garden, he told Mary, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Where was he? He was in the lower parts of the earth. He was in paradise.
paradise. After he went to paradise, he went to heaven, took his blood, put it on the mercy seat, opened heaven up for business, and now you and I have access to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, my God, whoo. Jesus said, he looked to the thief. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. He was telling the thief, today me and you are going to take a trip down before we go up. And we're going to go down to paradise. And I'm going to tell Abraham, you can go with me. And I'm going to tell Moses, you can go with me. And I'm going to tell David, I'm leading you out of paradise because I'm opening my father's house for business. Is there anybody in the building? And ladies and gentlemen, when you die, you are not taken to paradise now. You are now taken to the Father's house. Somebody say amen. Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 27, the apostles prophesied that Jesus would go down into the earth. He would go down into the earth, Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 27. Look at the prophecy, Acts 2 and verse 27. This was Peter's sermon. Peter said concerning David, verse 25, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord also before my face, for he is at my right hand that I shall not be shaken. Therefore my soul rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul into Hades. Did you all see that? Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the way of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. David prophesied that the Messiah would go down into the earth, but that the Messiah would not stay in the earth, but the Messiah would come up after three days. Why did he go to paradise? Because the righteous people were in paradise. And the Bible says he led captivity captive. He led all of those people out of paradise paradise. He led them all out and he led a great march into heaven. And the Father opened up heaven and he took his blood. Somebody better shout right there. Somebody better wave your hand and say glory to God. You see, ladies and gentlemen, let us not forget the significance of the crucifixion. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 16 and verse number 10, Psalm 16 and verse number 10, Psalm 16 verse number 10, this is David's words. Again, this is what they were quoting, Psalm number 16 and verse number 10, for you will not leave my soul into Shiloh, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is what Peter was quoting from David in the book of Psalms concerning the Messiah. The Bible also says in Psalm 68, Psalm 68 and verse number 10, Psalm 68, Psalm 68 and verse number 10, Psalm 68 and verse number 18, I'm sorry, Psalm 68 and verse number 18, Psalm 68 verse 18, listen to the words of David, for you have ascended on high. And you have led captivity captive, and you have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. You see, even David said again, he said, you ascended on high, but you also led captivity captive. In other words, before you went up, you took some folks with you from paradise. You see, well, preacher, how do I know that paradise and Hades was located in the center of the earth? The Bible says in Proverbs 9.18, Proverbs 15.24, Isaiah 14.19, Ezekiel 31 verse 14 through 18 gives us the clue that on the center of the earth there was the dwelling of the righteous and the unrighteous. Then you see the parable that Jesus tells us of the rich man and Lazarus. He's referring to this. Now why is this significant? Hold on here. The reason this is significant is because the city of Jerusalem, listen to this, Oh, the natural is a pattern of the spiritual. The city of Jerusalem is in the shape of a hand, which is the, the Hebrew alphabet, the Hebrew letter for the name God in the Hebrew. And it is shaped in the, uh, almost in the shape of a hand. And theologians tell us that the city sits on a hill, 
But you know, and I've been there, that this city has a valley that runs in the middle of the city of Jerusalem. On one side, in the day that Jesus lived, on the one side you had the temple, you had the ceremonial law, you had the sacrifices. The valley separated the other side of the city. On the other side of the city, there was a pit called Gehenna. And guess what the Jews would do? The Jews would take their garbage and throw all their garbage into the pit called Gehenna. And Jesus, when he spoke about hell, he, he, he likened hell to the pit that was in Jerusalem that was burning with fire. That is why the disciples could understand what Jesus is saying because Jesus is referring to the place where the worm dieth not, a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because the disciples could comprehend that the other side of the city of Jerusalem had a pit where they threw their fire and it was burned. So Jesus likened that pit to a place called hell. On the other side of the city of Jerusalem was the temple. It was where, where the priest was, but the valley separated the two sides. Jesus in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, one side was righteous. Come on, son. Somebody. It is where Lazarus was, and the other side is where the, where, where the rich man was and Lazarus. They were separated by a gulf. You see, that is a picture of the city of Jerusalem, and the Jewish people could comprehend that. That one side was righteous, and the other side was unrighteous, and there was a gulf that separated them both, but you could see over the gulf. Can somebody say amen? Because they lived in the city of Jerusalem, and they could comprehend what God was saying. That one side God was going to put the righteous and the other side God was going to put the unrighteous. And that is why when, when the thief was dying on the cross, he said, remember me in paradise. Because that thief was a Jew and he understood something. That at the center of the earth, there is a place where the righteous goes and there is a place where the unrighteous goes. But Jesus was getting ready to mix some things up. He says, I'm going to take you down, but we're going to take a trip on a spiritual elevator and we're going to go up to another place and we're going to go up to the third heaven and whoo, that is a place that I'm going to take my blood and put it on the mercy seat and it atones the human race of their sin. Hebrews chapter 9, he took his blood to the heavenly tabernacle and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. Hebrews chapter 9, read it. He did not enter the tabernacle made with hands. He, made, he entered the tabernacle not made of these hands. Not with the blood of bulls and goats. But as by his own blood he entered the most holy place. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Justice. Justice should have hung the man. But mercy cut the rope. I'm asking you this Easter season to invite somebody to church. I'm asking you to get a card and invite, invite, invite. Because in the end, we want to be together in heaven, don't we? I'm asking you to make an intentional pull. Invite somebody at work. Invite somebody that you go to work with. The job that you go to or the bank that you go to, the grocery store. Invite somebody to church on Easter. Make an intentional effort to say, listen, I want you to come and see my church. Just this one time. I know they may have rejected it. They may not want to come, but you keep trying. You keep asking. Ask people to come to church. A few days ago, I went to a restaurant. It was late at night. I, was, I didn't eat that day, but I ended my fast at midnight, and that's not to gloat. I'm just telling the story. So I, had, I went late in the middle of the night because I was really hungry. It's been, it was like almost you know, a long time before I ate, so I went and sat down at the restaurant. And so I uh, got my food and did everything and went to the counter, and my, my waitress, I got the, the tip, paid for the tip, and whatever the bill was, I gave that exact tip for it. So whatever the bill was, I matched it with the tip. So it was like a 100% tip. And so she saw it, she just started weeping, just crying. <laughs> I patted her 
on the back and said, it's okay, it's okay. She just kept crying. Is that right? She kept crying. I said, it's okay, it's okay. She said, well, who are you? I said, well, I'm a pastor of Christ Point Church in Galena. She said, oh, 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 the church across the tracks. I said, that's right, church across the tracks. She said, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for, just thank you. I just, nobody's ever done that for me before. I left that day knowing that you and I have a secret in our hands. I'm not asking you to go knock on doors. I'm asking you to be nice. I'm asking you to sacrifice a little bit. I'm asking you to go buy somebody's meal and speak to them, invite them to church, open their heart. When they see your good works, they will glorify your Father in heaven. How many good works are you doing? Or are you thinking about you and yourself and your babies and what you got doing in your life? Have you thought about somebody else this week? Step out. Say, preacher, I don't have it. I beg your pardon. We live in America. You can find means to do something. You can do something. You can sacrifice a little bit. I mean, come on. When was the last time you sacrificed that it really hurt? That it really made a memory in your life? When was the last time that you stepped out and you did something that you never forgot? You, you really made a memory in your life that I did that and that took faith to do it. Or are you living a mediocrity life where it's all consumed about you and your grandchildren, your babies, and what you've got going on in your life that you have no regulation that there's a lost and dying world going to hell and you and I are called to be missionaries and the gospel will never be preached unless we get up off of those seats and go throughout the world and tell the people the love of Jesus Christ. It will never get done unless you do it. All the praying in the world is not going to change it. Because praying ain't going to cause you to get up and do something that God has already called you to do. I'm asking. You say, preacher, I'm not mad. I'm excited. I feel anointed. I'm just aggressive. I want you to go. I want you to tell something about Jesus. I want you to invite somebody to church. I want you to make an effort. I want you to invest into them. I want you to step out, make yourself uncomfortable. I want you to do something for Jesus. The responsibility is on us. Do something. The greatest days are ahead for us. The greatest future is ahead for us. And you and I get to be a part of that. But you and I have a part to play in it. You gotta play. What about it? What about it, ladies and gentlemen? Justice would have hung me. But mercy cut the rope. And if mercy cut the rope for you, go cut the rope for somebody else. Relieve them of the pressure. Relieve them of their guilt and shame. Relieve people of the agony that they're in. And be the gospel. Preach the gospel. Live the gospel.